and welcome to the Hack Your Mindset podcast with me, Jenny Winterleach, the Mindset Hacker. So wherever you are today and whatever it is you're doing while you're listening to this, settle in and enjoy the ride. Hello everyone and welcome um, to another edition of the Expert Q&A here in Eden. I'm thrilled this morning to welcome Susanna Povey-White. Hi Susanna. Hello. Uh, there is a little bit of a lag this morning, just so that everyone knows. Um, she does hear me, it's just a moment after what I've said. So we'll just have to bear with that one for a moment. It's the glory of internet. Um, but Susanna, tell us a little bit um, about your practice as a veterinary physiotherapy, equine physiotherapist. I think that's right. <laughs> that is right, yeah. So I did my degree um, a little bit later than most people do it. Uh, I think I, I started when I was 20. Went to the local agricultural college to do my degree in equine science um, and then and then left and thought, brilliant, I'll get a job. And, and as I'm sure most people watching realise life doesn't work like that because unfortunately an equine science degree is not very vocational. So I ended up working in, in marketing, fundraising, charities, all that sort of stuff whilst riding and competing at the same time. And then 15 years later, having progressed my career through marketing, I was a, a marketing director in Dubai for healthcare events and realised that really I hated it um, and did my postgrad um, to qualify as a, as a veterinary physiotherapist and then started my practice. Probably, I think this year will be my sixth or seventh year in practice. Um, I still, uh, during busy times, I'm full time, but still sort of in the off season, I'm, I'm, I'm only doing it part time just because there's there's a lot of competition in the marketplace. And um, obviously, the current financial COVID and all of the rest of the wonderful stuff that's going on in the world at the moment means that people don't have a lot of um, disposable income. So I decided to use that spare time to launch two other businesses. So I also run uh, a CPD events company for vets and paraprofessionals. So anybody, any body workers, saddlers, farriers, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I'm also launching with my business partner a veterinary um, equine veterinary information website for knowledgeable horse owners. Wow. So lots going on. And, and I love the fact that you I hate to use the word again. Now, I haven't used it for a few months, though, actually pivoted your business there. Um, I did. From, you did. Exactly you pivoted. What I did. Yeah. Yeah. As many did when they had to um, to create something really wonderful. And, and I have to say, with everything going on at the moment and what have you, there have been some fabulous things that have come out of this. And the sound of your CPD and the sound of your website, is it the Equine Hub? Is that what it what it's going to be? Is awesome. The Horse Hub. Yeah. So tell us just I mean, a little the, bit I, more about that. So it came out of knowing how the, the, the wonder of the Horse and Hound Forum and, you know, all of the other places that people get um, information. And then obviously I'm on livery yards day in, day out, and I hear some of the most incredible old wives tales for, for dealing with veterinary information for, for horse owners. Uh, we were doing a, a CPD event with Derek Nossenbelt, who's like Mr. Sarcoid. And he was telling us that he had heard people that um, were told to put burnt toast on sarcoids to get rid of them. And, and my business partner and I, we just thought this, this is bonkers. You know, there's so much misinformation. People 
asking me, um, you know, what they should spend their money on and spending thousands and thousands of pounds on, on frankly, stuff that just is not evidence-based. It's just they heard somebody on another yard telling them they should do it. Um, you know, people using really outdated wound care information, you know, bandaging legs and, and, and all sorts of horrible things happening to horses. And I just thought, where where are these people getting their information from? Because, frankly, most of it's rubbish. Um, so it was. It was. Driven by that, really, this website, which is a website that's been around for years that comes out of Kentucky and States, and it has tons and tons of information. It's a massive site. So. Chris and I, my business partner, we're hoping to, to get to that, that level and we're, we're commissioning lots of authors at the moment. So it's it's everything from veterinary healthcare, welfare, and also lots of training articles. And we're also, I, I have lots of ideas, so I'm, I'm kind of thinking out loud, but we're also thinking about doing something similar to Amazon <coughs> with, um, with TAC and um you know horse stuff where people can actually leave reviews live reviews because we've all you know tried to buy britches and jodhpurs and it's the wrong shape for us so we wanted to have a, a part of the horse hub where we can have tack and um equine clothing where people can actually post photographs of themselves in it so we can actually see what it looks like live um so i do like to overload myself with work and, and this is probably going to, you know, this is 2021 stuff. Um, so, yes, I'm, I'm quite busy at the moment. Well, that's great. And I love those ideas. And I love, 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 love talking to equine entrepreneurs like yourself and just <laughs> seeing what comes out of adversity. There, there will be something, won't there? You know, pin us Always, down yeah. and something yeah. will pop out because you can't not. Um, so that's awesome and I, and I love that and if anyone wants to get um, a hold of it or look into it we will give the information at the end of this as well so if you're listening in on the podcast or watching it live it'll be at the end um, so tell us so that we decided this morning because there are just so many topics that we could talk about and discuss but actually the one that when we booked this way back you said you wanted to talk about really was arthritis because this is something that's really prevalent something that is kind of misunderstood and understood all at the same time probably an awful lot of wives tales and old information and things about this as well um talking about what you've just talked about so let's delve a little bit then into kind of today's topic which is about arthritis and the effects on performance and what it is that you want to share with people and of course anyone listening live now you can put your questions in about this if you want to and also anyone listening back you can contact us and contact Susanna as well and ask any questions so please do tell us Susanna what what your topic is all about for today so I'd like to caveat it by saying I am not a vet and neither am I a researcher. So my anecdotal experience of arthritis is, is mainly clinical. However, um, and I hope that some of the people watching have heard of it, I have literally just finished running um, an event called Equine Arthritis, which was our first CPD event, my business partner and I's um, event from my company, which is called PKW Events. It came about because Bowringer Ingelheim, the big a German pharmaceutical company had launched a new product onto the market um, called Artisel Forte. And it was a whole brand new um, piece of pharmacology that worked on uh, specific large joints in the horse's body. And we got the press release and we just thought, you know, what an amazing time to launch an event. The, the, the event, the 
the drug is POMV, so it's only a, uh, you're only able to talk to vets about it. But it's really, really interesting. And it's the first arthritis, it's the first new arthritis drug on the market for a really, really long time. So we set up this event that had a stream for vets where we could talk about much more uh, in-depth scientific side of, of arthritis. And then we had a paraprofessional stream where we looked at uh, rehab, prehab, uh, training, shoeing. So it was quite in depth. And obviously I was lucky enough to be able to watch the veterinary stream. And some of it, I'm not going to lie, you know, for a non-vet, even though I would consider myself quite scientific, was pretty heavy going. Like there was one um, presentation on on genetic biomarkers, which was, unless you're a researcher, oh, it was, yeah, it was pretty, pretty heavy going. But it gave me a really good basis of understanding about why arthritis happens, why it is, it is an epidemic in the equestrian sports horse world, um, what happens on a cellular level and an, and an articular level, and then the clinical presentation of it. So we had lots of um, lots of interaction with Andy from Andy Crawford from Sussex Equine Hospital, where we did lots and lots of lameness workups. We, we looked at the lameness locator. So it, it, it's given me as a, a delegate a, a much greater understanding of how to diagnose it, just also just diagnostics from the outside, let alone looking with ultrasound and, and x-ray. From a physiotherapist point of view, it's a disease that I see probably in 75 to 80% of all my clients. It's one of the most prolific things that affects sport horses. And I can't remember the exact statistic, but it's something like the bone, the, the joints and, and the bones within the joints have to go through 35 to 40% of remodeling before you actually see any clinical signs on the ground. And that's probably a vet or a paraprofessional seeing clinical signs. That is not the same as an owner seeing clinical signs. And most owners, understandably, do not know what a lame horse looks like. You know, the head nod you've got serious, serious problems going on by the time you've seen a head nod and it's probably been going on for years. So unfortunately, by the time I get to the horses and there's there's pathology within the joints, there's no going back. So it is about management. So you have very much two sides of the issue here. You have preventativeness. So if you're riding and producing and breeding young horses, there's lots of things that you can do to 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 mitigate arthritis and then you've got the other side the riders who have got horses with pathology um it's not an ideal situation arthritis is degenerative you cannot get rid of it um i mean even an arthroscopy which is going into the joint and cleaning out debris um you know that's not getting rid of arthritis that's cleaning out a joint. Um, the arthritis is still there and it still will progress at the same same level and the joint will still be pathological. Um, so yeah, there's there's two very different sides of the of the same coin, and they're both equally as fascinating. I would say probably most people are interested in the in the rehab of arthritic courses once they have a diagnosis. Most, you know, mid-level riders, pleasure riders, sports horse riders, competitors. Um, and I think there's an awful lot of misinformation on the marketplace um, and in the marketplace. And I think that there's a lot of very dangerous rhetoric around 
um, steroid injections. And I think a lot of riders don't understand that a steroid does two things. It's analgesic, so it's pain relief, and it's an anti-inflammatory, so it takes away swelling. It does not cure arthritis. It does not really prevent arthritis. It is a sticking plaster over a clinical issue. So it takes away the pain. So you, you, your horse has got arthritic hocks. You put an intra-articular steroid injection into the hocks, which is not without its own issues, dangers. That horse is not better. That horse is not in pain. So if you look into human practice, which is where I always, even though I'm not a human physiotherapist, I will always look on the human side to see what is going on there because human research is always way more funded. So the research is better. It's more in depth. Um, it's much more advanced. If you go into an outpatient's clinic in any hospital trust, they do not really do very many steroid injections unless the person is like, say, so if they have like, they are crippled, then they will do a, a steroid injection because it's so painful. In the beginning phases of um, of arthritic changes, the thing that they that physios um, and ancillary care is prescribing people is one thing and one thing alone: exercise. <laughs> and we have all heard people saying, "Oh, you know, I had this awful problem. I went to the physio, and all they gave me was a bloody sheet of exercises." And then you say to them, "Well, did it work?" And they say, "No. Well, I didn't do them because they were boring. You know, I, I wanted a massage." And <laughs> This is the problem that I have with um, the way that paraprofessionals deal with arthritis is that if you have a patholog pathological joint, the thing that it needs to do is move um, for various different reasons because of lubrication in the joint fluid and all those sorts of things. But mainly because the stronger the structures, the, the muscular structures around the joint, the more stable it will be and the less wear and tear through the joint. So I have um, sciatica because obviously I've fallen off many horses. And if I don't train, I am in agony. I have arthritis in my left wrist. If I don't train, I am in agony. So the same very basic principle applies to our horses, which is if they're weak, they'll be in pain. And that's not just with pathological joints, that's across the whole musculoskeletal system. If they are strong, you can mitigate that to an extent. Okay, so that really does explain, and I kind of knew this anyway, and I've always said it to people that, <clears throat> so my mare had, unsurprisingly, hocks. She was 14 when I got her and 19 when we realised she had hock arthritis, no great surprise, she'd been and done lots of things. But she also had a little bit of kissing spines and a little bit of DJD of the spine as well. And no surprise, you know, kind of it was what it was for whatever reason, that's how it came. When we x-rayed and then did the steroid injections on the back because the hocks didn't make enough of a difference. Funnily enough, I was told by the vets that we've done the injections, but you know, the most important thing is now going to be firstly, some physio under sedation to really get in there and get it moving properly. But most importantly, the rehab most importantly is now strengthening that back. And because she yeah. can now move it without the pain, Exactly the that. most important part now is to develop those Movement, yeah. muscles yeah and I think a lot of people unfortunately certainly what I hear in the horsey world think that you have the injection 
or the leg snip or whatever it is that you actually have for kissing spine and things like that, but you have the injection and then their horse is fine. And what they do is carry on riding the same way or carry on using the same tack or kit or instructor or whatever it is that they're doing. They don't, they might do the rehabby bits for a little bit, but then they get a bit bored because they want to go out and ride and they don't yeah. then do what's required. So tell us a little bit more then about the, the longer term side of things, because we all want a, a quick, I mean, even if we say we don't, who wouldn't want a quick fix treatment to something that sorts it out and it goes away? You know, like, of course, we'd all love that. But it's just not the case, is it? No. And, and there are two reasons why a horse will get uh, DJD or, you know, any pathological joints in the, in the back end, particularly. And that's one, because of confirmation. And unfortunately, we breed our sports horses. I think I've seen your horse and, and I think it is a sports horse, if I remember rightly. Not the great um, one, it's fine. It was the oh, one before that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but they're, they're, they're both Irish sports horses, yeah. Yeah. yeah so we breed them with this massive hock action because they're scopy as hell and they have all of this musculature on the bum to get them over the fences. Um, and they have blood as well, so they're pretty hardy, so you don't really know that they're in pain. You know, like a true warm blood, you have a little tiny bit of pain, it'll fall on the floor. Whereas these horses with lots and lots of blood, they will keep going with three legs, which is actually not great for diagnostics, unfortunately. So we breed them with this massive, um, massive back end, and they don't know how to use it. So there's a genetic aspect of, of concussive forces going down the hock, and then also you have it with the straight-legged horses. Um, which, you know, from pure uh, um, mathematics and looking about how concussive forces go down the, the, the joints. And obviously the, the hock is analogous to our ankle. So we have lots of little bones sitting on top of each other. And the, and the less of an angle that you have, the more this happens. And obviously this, does, this produces arthritic changes within the joints, which is why we tend to get lots of arthritis in, in, in our tarsus and, and carpal joints, um, particularly when you're a physio. But then you also have the added effect of poor riding and poor training and producing soon age classes all of these things like you know horse how many of those horses that, that are graded at a high level actually go on to event i think it's something that the the statistic is really shocking it's something like five only five percent of them because they're produced so young um so yeah you have these two factors that work concurrently the breeding and the poor riding or training or production um, and together they create a perfect storm. And then on top of that, we add to the fact that we are asking a, a joint that really just works backwards and forwards and, and oh, like that to go around in circles. So a lot of our um, issues on a very meta level, so on a very top level, not talking about individual horses, is that we ride an animal that is designed to move in in very slowly like this for 22 hours a day and then to go very fast for about 10 minutes what do we ask it to do we ask it to go round in circles with somebody on its back for quite a long period of time every day and then we ask it to stand still in a stable so one of the things that I try to encourage all my clients, firstly, is to simplify everything. Take the grackle off. Take the hanging cheek snaffle off. Take the martingale off. If you cannot ride your horse in a snaffle, 
generally speaking obviously there are some you know if you're going out hunting or whatever don't die um take it all off pair it all back and take your horse out hack it more take it on different terrains more go up and down hills more get out of the sand school get out of the surface and don't jump it more than you need to because if you think about your day-to-day effects that it ha- that 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 has on that horse it's making a massive difference in the long run massive and don't underestimate the damage that you do in the sand school and there's no reason why you can't do the same level of schooling out on your hacking now i understand that life isn't always as as easy as that i used to work in london i had a horse i would get home at seven o'clock i would go to the yard at 7 30 it would be pitch black you know that life also has to yeah and you have to work to afford your horse but all i ask you is that, that and everyone is this is that the next time you think oh god i can't go lunch my horse just maybe think about what i've just said and don't lunge your horse because really i would say most horses can't sustain lunging if you watch your horse the next time you lunge it if its inside hind leg is being placed under its stomach like a tripod to support it as it's going around in a circle your horse is not ready or strong enough to lunge so if you think about all of those plane joints and those those um forward back joints in the legs should be going in a straight line you're asking it to canter in a 10 meter circle and it's not able to sustain itself so then it starts to use the joints in the wrong way over and over and over again and this is how one of the the ways that pathological joints start to happen is this uneven loading and square your horse up and look at it from behind move its tail and look at its legs look at its feet are its feet even? Are they getting flares? All of these things are early indicators. So people often phone me and say, oh, I want you to come and look at my horse. It's sound, it's sound. And obviously it's not always sound, but when I go, I'm looking at these tiny intricacies, which are the early markers, the only clinical markers that I can see that your horse is not moving properly, but they are so adept at finding ways of changing their movement patterns. So you and I, when we're riding them, can't feel the difference, but I can see it because I've done thousands of horses and I can see what happens in the beginning and how it ends ends up when they're lame. Um, And this is again, leads on to one of the reasons why prehab and regular physio treatments are so important. So I'm interested, do you know, I have never heard the phrase prehab before. We, I, I, I love all this thing and I'm really interested in it. I'm around, you know, professionals like yourself all the time and all sorts of things. I've never come across the word prehab. So tell us, obviously I've heard rehab a million times over. Tell us what prehab is then. Yeah. I hear my internet's going funny. Um, so I'll answer anyway. So if you think about, and I, and I talked about it earlier, about thinking about humans and how humans deal with it. If you think about Arsenal football, men's Arsenal football team, probably one of the highest paid sports people in the world. Now, what are they doing? Because they are individually worth millions of pounds. So they get the best of the best of the best. Where are they most of the time they're either doing drills on the football field so they're practicing a game or they're in the gym 
and they have physios working with them all the time before they injure themselves rather than afterwards. In fact, most most sports physiotherapy, physiotherapists do prehab rather than rehab because it's a damn sight easier to prehab than it is rehab. So on a a very um, vague level, prehab is just making sure that your horse is strong, supple and even. And that's that's basically it. So your training is your most important part of this process. So you have to really trust your trainer that they're seeing the horse's weaknesses. If your trainer is not able to do that, and not all of them are, your trainer and your body worker need to talk to each other. So what I will often do when I go to do an MOT of a horse is I will speak to the trainer and say, look, this horse is really strong through the front end and really weak through the back. So we need to start getting them to work on sitting a little bit more and lifting up through the front end. Or this horse is massive through the brachiocephalicus. Does it do this under saddle? Because I often don't watch my my um, clients ride but I can see looking at the horse exactly how it feels under the saddle so I will say okay well this horse sucks back behind the contact doesn't it and it comes up here and it has a break over on you know c3 and then it's really weak just in front of the withers so it's um it's not puffing up through the shoulder blades and then it's got a big drop off behind the scapula so you know and all these things I can give my clients exercises to do on the ground which I often do and I do teach quite a lot actually just to try and get them to basically flip their horses up the other way. But it's also quite conducive to then speaking to the trainers to say, this is what we need to work on. You know, you need to to start getting it to do X, Y, Z. And then to also add into that story is to talk to the farrier um, to say, I can see this and I can feel it further up the body because obviously farriers are specialists. They look at the foot. I think a lot of them are getting a little bit better at looking above the distal limb now. Um, So I would like, I often will call farriers and say, this horse is really uneven through the traps. I can see that it's got a dropped heel on the left and it's got a massive right shoulder. What can we do about bringing that left heel up? Um, because there's no point in you working your horse because you would just be banging your head against a brick wall. But I think that's a whole other podcast that we could do just on the feet and how it affects the body. Yeah, definitely. And I have to say, you know, so often um, when we're doing these, we go, well, we're trying to stick to one topic, but we often veer off into something else because there's so much noise. It's all interlinked and it is all interlinked, isn't it? And I love the fact that you say, Um, And I love working with people like yourself um, who agree with this, which is that this is about a team. It is not about who is the latest, greatest, who is the biggest celebrity on the, who everyone's recommending right now, who, you know, is doing clinics in your area, that kind of thing. It is actually about finding your team and getting them to work together because no matter where me and my horse are, I have the same team. And if I have to, if I'm ever for some reason have to go to a yard where I can't have my team, I won't. I just won't go there because my trainer talks to my my physio my physio talks to my saddler my saddler talks to my podiatrist sometimes I get all of them together at the same time you know and it's so important to and, and look at the human again medical world that all the specialists about a particular case will meet up together and have a meeting about exactly. it absolutely and why are we not why are we not doing this as as um as teams and this is 
this is how my my events business was born because I was so excuse my language pissed off Of with the fact that people were not talking to each other. It's my events business to get the whole team surrounding the horse together and to talk to each other. Now, unfortunately, the older guard sometimes in the vet world are not used to doing this. So it's taken quite a long time. Like it's taken me seven years of practice to get some of the local vet vets to talk to me. Now they know I they know that I am that I'm knowledgeable, they will talk to me. But I think the problem with that is that there's so many rubbish people at the bottom of the chain that they don't know who's good and who isn't. They don't know who's qualified and who isn't. They don't know who's insured and who isn't. Like just in my area, we have got some serious charlatans around. Um, and I used to feel like I should stick my head above the parapet and get it shot off. But, you know, always the charlatans will have people that believe in their practice and they will go for you. Um, all I would say, as exactly as you've just said, as a horse owner, stick with your team and who you trust in your gut. Don't listen to Barbara on the livery yard who's had a hairy cob for 30 years. Don't listen to the person who charges you £700 to come and do a clinic on your yard. Listen to your vet. Listen to your farrier or podiatrist. Listen to your dentist, your saddler and your body worker, whoever that, whatever that is that you choose. You might have more than one body worker. You might have a chiro and a physio or whatever. And your massage therapist who probably should be seeing your horse more than anybody else because massage is not therapeutic. It doesn't fix things. But I think they are definitely an important part of the circle. And a massage therapist and a physiotherapist are totally different. They are not interchangeable. You cannot have a massage therapist and not have a physiotherapist. And, and actually, I don't do any massage at all. So I am not interchangeable with a massage therapist. Um, and stick to that team and use your gut because you know your horse better than anybody else. And if you start feeling that people want to take your money unnecessarily, like if people keep saying to you, oh, well, I need to come back. I need to come back. I need to come back. If your body worker needs to see your horse more than every, I mean, I don't see my clients more than twice, three times a year more than possibly I would say between the space of six weeks I would start wondering whether that horse should be going to the vet honestly yeah absolutely okay so this is so key and, and I and I think more in the leisure rider realm people are now beginning to realize that you need a team they need to be talking to each other it needs to be consistent and I think the real key I found over the years that has made a massive difference to my horse and my performance, and I don't necessarily mean competition record, I just mean how well he's moving and doing and, and, and all of that, is consistency. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I say this with mindset things as well. It's not about big, massive changes. It's not about someone in coming in and doing something huge and everything's fixed. That's not how it works. It's about consistency and, and actually having that same team and having that consistency and getting them working together. The wonderful thing is that someone might have picked up on one thing. Someone might have picked up on another and another picked up on one. And actually, when you put those three things together... Yeah. You get that that picture, but that person wouldn't have noticed that, and that wouldn't have noticed this if they hadn't been consistently seeing your horse. How often that is, you know, or what have you. And if you'd gone, I'm having this person, then that person, then this person, then that person, and just moving around again, just throwing the kitchen sink at it. What you're not going to notice, and what they're not going to notice, 
are those subtle changes and those things and particularly if we bring it back to arthritis as well because this is relevant in everything isn't it arthritis is fairly subtle changes sometimes isn't it it is and i think what i always say to people is i don't have magic hands they're just normal hands what i'm good at is looking and seeing changes and you're right is that unless i'm looking at the horse over a year i'm not going to see the changes but the consistency thing is is massive for me i am not going to fix your horse okay i am not going to fix your horse because i am not a magician i do not have the ability to give it drugs what i'm going to do is tell you what you're going to do every day and that is what will make the difference i'm going to give you exercises that you're going to do every single day which will make the difference but i tell you what jenny it's boring and that's why people don't want to do it but it works you know i i see these people that charge so much money and they go and they you know they pull the legs around and they make the cracks and they stick their hands in places that shouldn't necessarily have hands that's not going to make a difference your horse might feel great the next day but you know in six weeks time is it going to going to have gone back to the way it was probably the thing that makes the difference is small, consistent changes to your routine. Now, if you think about, again, going back to humans, how do bodybuilders or athletes become top of their game? Because they do it every day. When they don't want to go training, when they don't want to go to the gym, they get in their car and they go. The changes are not made by their massage once a week. They're not made by their chiropractor clunking their bones every six weeks they're made by the small changes that they do day in day out so i would rather my owners spent their money on lessons than on me and that's probably why i i drive a really rubbish car because i'm never going to be rich telling people that but i it's how i sleep at night because i honestly believe 100 percent in my process which is really, really boring and really, really long-winded, but it works. And my clients that trust me and have been with me for years, they have honestly seen that their horses have stayed sound. I mean, acute injuries aside, obviously I can't, I can't stop horses from being idiots in fields. But generally speaking, if they follow the plan, it does work. And that brings me beautifully on to, you mentioned earlier to me before we went live, that you do things slightly differently to other people and you're really passionate about doing things slightly differently. So how much of that would you say is the way that you're passionate about doing things and you would love to see things change and, and people to understand? Well, I, again, I'd like to caveat it by I have no judgment on how other therapists work and, and I know some really absolutely fantastic therapists who use their hands and, and do use machines and manual therapy is their thing it's not my thing uh but that's not a judgment on anyone else's practice i mean there are some people that i think probably could could be more honest about the way that they practice but again it takes lots of different people to work together to get to the end my practice is very hands-off it's, I spend a lot of time talking to my clients about how the horse feels under saddle. I do a lot of watching how the horse moves at liberty. I always see the horses trot up and often we'll see them on the lunge. 
I will then uh, do an, a, a manual assessment. So I'm not delivering any therapy with my hands. I'm I'm looking at how the horse sits together. How does it stand? How does its leg? How do its legs move? How much movement is there in the joints? How do the muscle? What's the muscle tone feel like? All those sorts of things. So I'm not delivering manual therapy to it. I am assessing it, and then we will sit down and work together. Does that horse need to go to the vet? Quite often, yes. Um, and then working with the vet to then rehab it from whatever the diagnosis is. Now, that is quite unusual. Most therapists will use their hands, um, as you would imagine, you know, and lots of people say to me, oh, the back lady's here, or oh, I could do with a massage. And I have to very, very nicely say, so I'm not a massage therapist. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't deliver therapy with my hands. Um, so yeah, it is, it is quite different and it has come over many years of, of honing my practice. Um, and I do absolutely believe in it 100% because I have seen the results, um, and they speak for themselves. And, and this came about because when I qualified, I was sold an ultrasound machine from the place I qualified from, and I was sold a laser. Now, I used to use them because I used to think that that's what physios should do. And I just did not see any results. And I kept thinking, why am I using this stuff? Is it because that's what owners want to see me do? Is it because they've just paid me 70 quid and they want to see me doing something on their horse rather than sitting on the tack box talking to them, which is actually what I ended up doing now? Or I spend quite a lot of time getting on my hands and knees showing people how horses should move. So if you ever see me on a yard on all fours, wandering around pretending to be a horse, please don't be alarmed. Um, and yeah, so I was using these machines and just thinking it, it's all a bit of a sham. Um, I mean, particularly my ultrasound machine, I just didn't feel that it gave me any benefit. Uh, uh, possibly some acute phase tendon issues. But then again, you know, you have to use it every day. So I stopped using it and and worked much more on training and strength training on the horses. So more like a PT, like a personal trainer for horses than than a, a physio. And I saw the results were speaking for themselves. So that's how my practice evolved over the last six to seven years. And it's where I am now. And And, you know, I have heard people say, well, Susanna doesn't really do much, does she? And no, I probably don't do much compared to the other people that, you know, you're used to. But it's what I believe in. And if you believe in the same thing, then we can work together. Um, if you don't believe in it and you want your horse to have all of this manual therapy, then I am not the person for you. And that's OK. You know, as a horse owner, you get to choose your own team, just as we said, Um but I hope that my clients do trust me and believe me and, and we work together to for the long, for the long haul. So these people are working their horses into their 20s. And that's that's what I want. Awesome. Love it. And actually, we've had an interesting question come through because, you know, you were talking earlier about variety and you know doing different things with them and stuff like that and that it's not necessarily always possible and there have been some things that have come along that potentially could help us to simulate that and stuff and the, and the question that's come in is that I live in a very flat area so I don't so hill work isn't a possibility and I have to say mm. personally I moved from a yard where we were up and down hills all the time to another yard where there's hills 
Now I'm on a yard where I'm not sure if there's going to be many hills or not, because I'm not really sure if I found that many yet. Um, and so I will have to actively go out looking for some hills to do with my horse, because I think personally for him, it's going to be really important. But so there are things that have come about now, things like treadmills that do inclines and, and, and water treadmills and various things. Now, not necessarily what's your opinion on them, because I know like with everything, there's different research and different thoughts and different opinions. But what's your thoughts on ways where we can simulate certain things or do variety where there isn't any or somehow make good of the situation and often the environment literally that we're in? And particularly at the moment where, you know, for instance, I'm in tier four. So taking my horse out and about just isn't really that much of an option. Um, and so we're all trying to manage this stuff as well with the added fun of lockdown and various bits and pieces added in there as well. And so how can we sometimes replicate something or use a, a, a type of exercise or a, or a type of equipment or something that can give us as much as possible what we need, but it may not be the best, the best option? I love water treadmills. Just putting that out there, I think they are absolutely fantastic. And I think if you have the choice of um, spending £2,000 on a massage pad or a series of stuff uh, of appointments at your water treadmill, choose the water treadmill because it is far, far more beneficial. I know it's expensive. Um, and I think that as more people are opening them up, economies of scale, the price will come down. Um but yeah, if it, or if you if you if you're thinking about what to buy a horsey person for Christmas, buy them a session at the water treadmill. In terms of um, environment and doing some more interesting things where you can't necessarily have access to what I've been talking about, there's lots of stuff you can do. So look at your yard. What do you have in your yard that could be skin body? and think about what your horse would be doing in nature. So if you think about a Welsh hill pony, it would be going in and out of streams, it would be stepping up over rocks, it would be flexing through all its joints, it would be putting its head down, it would be foraging through really poor fodder to find decent fodder. So, you know, that's why our native breeds are fat because we don't give them, you know, we, we give them everything really easily. So, mental stimulus is also really important so get your horse out in a head collar and a lead rope and lead it around your yard up and down steps back it up over things uh lead it into different places up and down the ramp of your lorry get it to jump off the side pony club stuff like it sounds really stupid and if you're in a competition yard people will think you are mad but i promise you it will it will have a benefit on your horse's mind it will have a benefit through all your horse's joints it will have a benefit of his stability it will be fun it will help you and him bond together um it's just you know all of these things we we go right we go into the yard we muck out we hang the hayne up we put the tack on, we take it to the sand school, we walk on one rein, walk on the other, we trot on that rein, trot on the other, canter on that rein, take it in, put it to bed, put the rug on, go home. Try and think about how you as an owner can make your horse's life as um, uh, replicable to his life that he would have as a wild horse as much as possible. So, you know, make it interesting, different terrains on their feet, especially for your horse, Jenny, who's barefoot, you know, going over the proprioception of going over the different terrains is so beneficial. Like if I think about um, the yard I'm about to go to, 
she's got a little bank that goes up to a, a row of stables at the side. So I always say to the owners, lead your horse up and down this bank, make it go really slowly. If it wants to launch itself off, you know, let it launch itself off, turn it round and then make it go up and then back it back down again. Get it to walk through the mud, get it to walk through the gravel. You know, all of these things are so important. And I tell you what, if you do 20 minutes of mind work of a horse, it will be knackered like mentally knackered because the physical stuff is good, you know, and horses need to move constantly, but we're not very good at giving them mental stimulation. So pole work, I do lots and lots of pole work on the ground. And when I say pole work, that's very different to gymnastic work. So we're really good at setting up our poles with, you know, the four pigeon steps for the, for the trotting poles and the three strides for the canter poles. But really what you're doing is you're setting up a grid that's been paced out for your horse. So it doesn't have to think. It just has to lift its legs up and be athletic. Now, most of our horses are quite athletic anyway. So it, it's, um, it's an important part of the training. You know, I'm not saying don't do, don't do bounces and, you know, grid work and stuff. But it, you also need to make the horse think. So I do these things called pickup sticks. And if you go onto my my PW Equine Facebook page, you'll see some exercises with um, your friend of mine, Jenny, uh, the lovely Jake Tarrant, where I get him to like literally throw poles all over the floor. And then he has to lead his horse through the poles back up. Horses kick them, you know, they stumble. If you're doing it slowly enough, they really have to think, oh, I have to, you know, stretch out over that pole or, or I have to um, collect myself to get over that one, reverse it through. They have their backs come up, they're, they're bottoms tuck under you know they then they extend through the neck so all of the, the things that we want their bodies to do we're doing it so if you can work that into your program once a week possibly twice a week with maybe two schooling sessions and two hacks you know that's all they need um and then if you are giving them mental stimulation in the box as well so you're putting hay in different places you're tying maybe a hay net up and then you've got a hay pillow on the ground or you're doing a treat ball or you're hanging things from the ceiling. All of this stuff is really important because our horses are clever and they need mental stimulation and, and they don't get it from just going around in circles for half an hour, five times a week. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so two quick ones coming up then from people in particular. So what about treadmills that specifically do inclines? And then a second question, what do you think about things like paddock paradise and track systems and things like that for horses? I absolutely advocate both of them. Um, if you can have access to a dry treadmill, fantastic. We don't actually have any around here, I don't think. Um, we have a couple of water treadmills. Um, the track system, I've worked with a couple of clients who, who went to Rockley Farm, which is the, the track system, I think it's in Devon. Amazing, amazing, amazing. I would love when lockdown's finished and, and Corona's buggered off, I would absolutely love to go and see it because I've spoken to the woman on the phone a couple of times and she just is so passionate about it. And I think it's fascinating, um, particularly for horses that need to go barefoot. And I think there's a lot to be learned there. I, I think there's some more research actually that should be done. Um, the overarching answer to all of those questions is do your research. Go onto Google and type in uh, track system, equine research and put the word research on the end of it. And then you will get access to all the PubMed. So the the um, 
the medical research articles. It can be a little dry, I warn you. Um, and you do have to get your mind into reading research stuff. My biggest tip is scroll to the bottom and just read the conclusion. It's a really important part of being a horse owner. And hopefully, which segues me quite nicely, I was talking about Horse Hub. One of the things that we will do is the demystifying of equine research. So I think I probably will do it myself, is that I will look at all the stuff that's being publicised every week from, from research bodies and I will demystify it and write it up in a understandable way. But it's really, really important that you research the stuff because there's a couple of fancy products on the market, uh, a vibrating plate that will remain nameless, um, that actually when you start to pick apart the research, it's shoddy, uh, it's not evidence-based, and um, I wouldn't waste your money. Follow David Marlin on on Facebook. He is brilliant at doing this. He's, he's quite aggressive um, and quite cutthroat in his in his um, rhetoric, but he demystifies all this rubbish in the horse world. He's, he's really interesting. So um, follow him and you can ask him questions and he does quite a lot of research. So you might get access to stuff that you wouldn't normally get access to. But yeah, don't believe stuff you read uh, in marketing stuff and advertising. Don't, don't listen, you know, people saying, well, I did this with my horse and it worked is not science. So, you know, you need to understand how science works and how scientific experiments work and, you know, giving your horse garlic and then you notice that it didn't get bitten anymore. That's not scientific research. That's anecdotal research. And they are totally different. And any sentence that begins, in my experience, not science, because there are so many things that run concurrently outside of a scientific experiment that you don't know what has worked. So, you know, often people will say, well, I put this product on my horse six weeks later the splint had gone or the lump had gone well there were probably other things that played into that like time and the body's own ability to heal itself um and you maybe didn't ride the horse or you changed the shoeing or whatever so unless you are in a anecdotal evidence doesn't mean anything um, so yeah, horse owners need to get better at, at reading stuff on the internet that's that's good and evidence based. And I think what's brilliant though, is, and I totally agree with you. I've I've gone down rabbit holes <laughs> looking at research on the internet and just come out of it going, oh, ow, that you know that hurts. Um, yeah, it's hard. It's okay, not. It is, speak, you really have to get into. You really do, and and I'm not a vet or no. medically qualified in any way, so I can do academic speak, but then add in all of that stuff, and oh, it's painful. But it, you know, um, to add to that, I love the fact that um, Horse Hub—that's what it's called, isn't it? Horse Hub. Yeah, that Horse Hub is going to help with this, and you know, um, help people to go and find things. And you know, I mean, personally, my belief is I totally agree with you. I think scientific stuff is really important and things, and anecdotal is anecdotal. Um, now, I will speak to an expert in something to find out what I need to find out, and sometimes that expert might know of anecdotal things as well. You know, not everything, unfortunately, can be researched yeah. because of the number of factors because when you do um scientific research as you know you have to have what's called a control which means that nothing changes well, 
how is that possible in an animal, in a horse, in an environment where everything is constantly changing? So, you know, it's very difficult to, to sometimes get that scientific research, isn't it? But at the same time, just go to an expert about it. Don't listen to your mate down the road who had a horse with it once or you know, anyone else. They might oh, be interested. Interesting to interesting. Oh, sorry, oh, sorry. the internet. Funny then. Carry on. Yeah. Um, I was reading a really interesting uh, study yesterday about the placebo effect. And it was actually in, in humans. And it was it was basically talking about sham surgeries. So when people have a problem and then they're told that they're having a surgery on something, but they actually haven't. So they're put to sleep and then nothing, they don't do anything. And then they wake up and the, and they, and the patient goes, oh, my God, I feel so much better. And, and the doctors are all like, oh, we didn't really do anything. So, you know, the power of the mind, the placebo effect is very powerful. Now, horses don't obviously have cognitive ability to have um, the placebo effects, but I tell you who does, owners of horses. So you can, you can, you know, if I said to an owner, I'm just going to give you a horse a massage, you just go and make yourself a cup of tea. And then they came back and I had done nothing to the horse. You would guarantee that they would phone me the next day and say, oh my God, the horse felt brilliant. Now, you know, that's, that's human psychology and it's really, really interesting. And, um, again, non-quantifiable, but it's just an interesting point to bring up um, as to what you've said. Um, but from a horse's point of view, they only feel what they feel. Um, so I think that that's something that I actually, that's given me a bit of an idea. I might have to write an article about that now. <laughs> I did warn you that happens. You come out of Q&As and new projects are born or new articles <laughs> happen or new, new. Yeah. I mean, I'm, somehow I've ended up creating a new course with someone potentially. It's like, oh, blimey, you know. Um, but yeah, no, I totally agree. And placebo is hugely powerful. I mean, I, I look into this myself and, and I, you know, I am fully aware of this. And a lot of mindset work is fully understanding of placebo mm. because it doesn't matter. You get the result you want to get. It doesn't actually matter yeah. what. In. There's so many okay. awesome research into placebo, things like um when they're looking at anxiety pills and they give, yes. they give people a red one or a blue yeah. one and the blue pill yeah. is better for anxiety but it's the same drug or nothing or it's the sugar pill you know there was a there was the a guy during the war it's amazing there was a guy during the war that was operating on war you know patient like um soldiers yeah. Um, and he was giving them saline solution, not anaesthetic. And they were enduring the pain of surgery because they thought they'd be given anaesthetic. Incredible. Um, well, actually, that brings me quite nicely. And I won't whitter on too much about this. But there's um, when you are delivering therapy to a tissue, it is there's quite a lot of really interesting research that there's no anatomical difference in a painful muscle to a non-painful muscle so they did some research about biopsying mu biopsying muscles so a person had uh, had a sore let's say a sore delt and they said oh you know this this really hurts it's, it's painful i need it to be um it's in spasm so they took a biopsy of that muscle and then a biopsy of this of the delt on the other side which is not painful under microscope so on a cellular level absolutely no difference in the muscle so the reason that the reason that this one was painful is only because my mind is telling it that you know so my nervous system is saying protect it because it's it's painful so it's weak so when you are rolling and massaging and poking and prodding muscles the muscle is not the problem it's the mind which is why a lot of um a lot of work on humans at the moment is in pain clinics. So exactly as you were talking about, uh, you know, the, the no anaesthetic, 
a lot of pain strategies now so for chronic pain is about management of pain rather than pharmacology because we all know that you know you give a horse butte for too long it colics because um, analgesia has huge issues on the on the GI system, uh, a human's hand in um, in horses. So actually, we would rather find a way around pain that doesn't involve drugs. And you know, steroids to go right back to the beginning of our conversation. Steroids actually destroy bone over a long period of time, which is why these show jumpers that come over from the continent who have had steroid injections in their in their distal limbs from the age of three upwards they're crooked by the time they're 10 because their joints are literally dissolving because steroids have no longevity. You know, they are sticking plasters. So we need to get away from, from this pharmacological intervention in our horses because it actually, it, it's so much more controlled by the body holistically, um, which is one of the things that I would like to say that I do and, and, and I demystify a lot of this stuff for my owners, which is why I spend a lot of time talking to them, because my understanding of veterinary knowledge is pretty good. Um, so I will say to them, right, if this is the diagnosis, these are your options. So, you know, you could do this and the vet might suggest that, but then you could also do this. So a lot of it is demystifying a lot of that veterinary speak and, the and you know, what is arthromid? What is Articell? What are these things that children, you know, what is in them and how does it work in the body and what are the long term effects? And that is of no detriment to vets. But let's be honest, the vet's time is far, far more expensive than mine. So they don't have the time to spend hours on their phone or in person talking to their clients. So I'll do it for them because I understand what they're giving them. So it's a much better use of my time. Um, so that's another thing to, to, to maybe think about with the horse owners is, is utilising your practitioners to talk to you about you know, and that that is just care. brings me perfectly to the point I wanted to make. Actually, was I was having this conversation with someone the other day, and this will just bring it all together beautifully as well. Which is that their horse went and had treatment for something, whatever, and they came back, and we all said to them, "Okay, so what's the vet said?" And they said, "Oh yeah, crack on with rehab." And we said, "Well, what's the plan? What's the rehab mm. plan?" They went, "Oh, you know, a couple of weeks of walking, a couple of weeks of trotting, that kind of thing," and and we were like. Um, do you think maybe you ought to speak to a physio or someone who understands rehab or rehab specialist or a, a, an osteochiro, whatever body work, whatever you want to, but do you think you ought to really speak to someone who understands horse rehab? Because your vet has understandably and quite rightly said to you, go and rehab now. Yeah. But what they have not given you is a detailed plan because that is not their job. It's not their job. No, they don't do anything on rehab in, in veterinary college. They do, it, understandably, that's not their skill. No. But so many people say, well, my vet said do this. And actually, you know, so from your point of view, what do you need to do then? You get the diagnosis and the treatment potentially from the vet. Then what, in your opinion, is the next step you need to take? I'm sorry, Jenny, I didn't hear that. My internet went, so you have to repeat That's the question fine. for me. I was just saying, so when you hear your vet diagnoses, and then says there's this, you know, there's this treatment or whatever, and then says, you know, off you go, and they may not even mention rehab. They might just presume that you know it or whatever. What would you say is the next best thing to then do as an owner, having been given a diagnosis and maybe even a treatment, then what? So really, the only profession that is is trained to rehab is a physiotherapist because physio means physical. It means movement. So we are movement therapists. It's what we do. So contact your physio. Um, now, most vets, unfortunately, because of the litigious society that we live in, will not recommend a physio. Um, they will say, go and find your own. 
So what I would suggest most owners do, and obviously, you know, you've probably got an international audience here, is your vet says to you, go and rehab your horse. And then you say to the vet, right, well, I'm going to get a physio. I'm going to get them to call you. And then the physio can see the veterinary notes. I will release the veterinary notes as the horse's owner. And then I want my physio and my vet to talk to each other. And then the physio will deliver the rehab plan to my horse and feed back to the vet. Now, as an owner, it is your not responsibility, but it, it is in your interest to make your team talk to each other. So if your vet's being all like, nah, I don't want to, you know, just get, just physio it, you need to, you're paying a lot of money. So you say to your vet, no, I want you to talk to my physio. And on the same level, if your physio is not asking to see your horse's veterinary report, there is a problem, a big problem, because you cannot rehab a horse without knowing what the problem is. And, and that is the bottom line. Perfect. And I think that's actually a perfect point to sum up all the things that we've been talking about and everything that we've covered. And, you know, thank you so, so much for your time, Suzanne. It's been an absolute pleasure. And anyone that watches this is going to have so many great things to think about, take away and do. If they want to get in touch with you, if they want to know more about Horse Hub, if they want to follow your page, how can they do that? Um, so probably the best way to get hold of me and to see my my stream of consciousness, which as I'm sure you can tell over the last 60 minutes, there is a lot of, um, is my physio Facebook page, which is, so my last name is Povey White. So my, um, my business is called PW Equine Physio. So just search for it on Facebook. Um, and then if you are a paraprofessional and you're listening to this, please also like the um, the events business, which is um, PKW Events, again on Facebook. Horse Hub is currently in production and probably will be launched in January. However, I would like to give a shout out to any paraprofessionals who consider themselves good writers. Jenny, actually, I'd like you to write for me. Um and I would like them to contact me on Facebook or um, personally, and I'll get Jenny to put my, my email address on the on the uh, edited version uh, about writing, because the more content we have, the better. Perfect. Thank you so much. That's absolutely brilliant. And we did it even with internet connection problems. We did it. There was Yay. just a few moments of... But we got there. So thank you so, so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been my really pleasure. lovely. To you. Great. I've now got something to write during my isolation period. Yeah. So that's all good fun. <laughs> and um, I'm sure lots of people will be in touch. But thank you so much for sharing with us. And we will speak to you soon. My pleasure. Bye, everyone. Bye. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. If you want to listen to more of them, then please do follow us in Apple, in Google and on Podbean. Hack Your Mindset with Jenny is the name of this podcast, so please do subscribe, follow us, and we look forward to you listening in to our next one. Bye, everyone.